This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of EntreEd Talk. We're super excited. We're going to try something a little outside of the box today from what we've been currently doing. Toy and I have decided that, you know, moving into 2020, a new decade, we thought we'd add kind of a new segment to the podcast around current articles, research, books, things that are on our radar that are in the entrepreneurship space that we're really interested and impacted by. And our good friend Ted Dintersmith had shared this on Twitter, and you all know what fans we are of him, but it really put, I think, a little bit of pressure on us as movers and shakers in this space to really consider what this article is about. And so we're going to debrief on a New York Times article titled, What Students Are Saying About How to Approve American Education. And the whole basis of this article is that um, the New York Times sends out prompts for students to respond to. And one of those prompts in 2019 was the results of an international exam that showed that 15-year-olds in America are stagnant in reading and math and that they have not progressed since 2000. So, Toy, let's dive in, but I know you have a lot of thoughts on this one for sure. Yeah, this will be really fun, and we're going to try to do stuff like this, as Amber mentioned, um, periodically just because we have so many cool things and resources that we would love to share with our audience. This article is sort of broken down and and we'll post a link to it as well, but it's sort of broken down by um, different sort of different topics that the students have responded to. So, or, or different ideas that they have as far as their suggestions for fixing education in America. And so most of these struck a chord with both Amber and I, which is why we <laughs> are going to talk about it today. So the very first one was the suggestion, a couple of students suggested putting less pressure on students. And the um, one of the students responded that there's so much pressure for getting good grades and getting into college. And that seems to be the only focus. Um, that is a that is a really, really good point, and we hear a lot of that. Um, I know that Amber and I sort of have a similar experience because we both were good, did well in school in our in our k through twelve experience. Um, but we were kind of the stereotypical kids. And like a lot of these students that responded to this article, um, I was focused. there was no there was no choice. there was no there's no way around it. My job, according to my family and my parents, was to go to college, the end, period. That's it. And when I finally did graduate from college, my dad hugged me and said that, you know, you, you've done your job now. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and, I, and I did. Um, but I don't feel like, and, and Amber probably has the same experience, that I really learned anything in high school. Um, it was, it was, I was tremendously adept at sucking in lots of information and dumping it out on a test and then dumping it out of my brain entirely. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, what, what we're also hearing from kids, that they're not really learning anything because of this pressure to get into a good college or in, you know get, get through these standardized tests. I think what's really interesting is one of the, we're just going to say first names, right? So Jacob, Jacob, he also lifted up the fact that this stress isn't 
isolated to the students that the requirements that are in place right now is putting an ungodly amount of pressure onto teachers um, to stuff a large amount of content. He even suggested year-round school, which is coming from a high school student because of the amount of stress. So like, think, let's think about that <laughs> because for them to go to that extreme where they would say, I'd rather have year-round school than the amount of stress that I do means we're doing a huge disservice to them. I mean, incredibly big disservice. And these are not students also, um, by and large, when you read this article, th these are not students at all that want things to be easy. In fact, one of the students, I can't find it quick enough in the article, but one of the students uh, talks about how, I, you know, it sounds really fun to think about a teacher that just shows movies in class all the time, but when you really aren't learning anything, that's not fun. And, and it's not that these kids want it easier. It's just this this insane pressure for taking all of these tests, getting these grades, and so that they're so they get some end game goal of going to college, which we all know is not necessarily the end game anymore. And yeah. um, we have a lot of a lot of older people, me included, that have student debt out the wazoo. <laughs> Preach. Uh, you know, and and I'm not sure what the return on that investment actually is. If I had gone and done something different, yeah. uh, not that I'm complaining, but it but it it is a it is a real it is a real issue. And you know uh, what I think is the most interesting too is that we often tout entrepreneurship education as an opportunity to to experience failure, and the amount of stress that is placed on students in today's American education system is in large part due to like two end of school year assessments. So one of the students said, the expectations that I wish my teachers in school have of me is that I am only human and that I make mistakes. And we're putting put structures in place where that ability to fail is being perceived as an end all be all instead of being a learning opportunity. And I think we often really uplift that, the ability to have that mindset to fail forward. Um, a lot of these students don't feel that they have that opportunity. And I think that's telling. And, you know, and that's, that's so, so true. One of the um, students later on in the article even says that, um, that they wish he or she wishes that the tests could be based, the grades could be more based on the effort mm -hmm. apart from just is, is the answer right or wrong. And mm -hmm. that is like with entrepreneurship, that's such a big thing is that, you know, it's, it's not about whether your product or your idea or your opportunity is successful. It's about the, the journey of pursuing it. And that's where the learning comes in. I know, you know, when you, if you think about anyone's real life experience, nobody just learns things and, you know, like from a, from a textbook and spits them back out. Like that's not how life works, but that's yeah. how school works. And, you know, you learn something when something is broken and you have to fix it. Or when you have, you know, you have a deadline at work and you don't know how to reprogram whatever your thing is. <laughs> and you've got to learn it really quickly because you have a compelling goal that you need to learn it for. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how pointed, I guess, our education system seems to be. And and we're not here, uh, we've said this many times, we uplift teachers. That's part of our goal at EntreEd and at EntreEd Talk, because we know that there's amazing teachers out there. And if you do read this article, please read till the very end, because they uplift some amazing things that teachers are doing, mm -hmm. despite 
the fact that they, that teachers as well as students are, you know, committed to this standardized test madness. Um, You know, I, I know we need, I understand, we all understand we need a way to assess students because we need a way to, to show that there's progress. And that's, you know, that's, that's challenging, but I think that there might be other ways to do that rather than this focus and emphasis on these, these high stakes tests that really, I'm not really sure what they're measuring, honestly. Yeah. Uh, one, one student talked about math and like, you know, how come I'm not learning things that I can use in the real world? And our buddy, Ted Dinsersmith yeah. <laughs> has a whole thing about algebra. If you want to, if you want to rant about algebra, go, go check him out. Um, but you know, things that, that would be helpful in the world. And I think the, the, I think that student was the one talking about credit and how, you know, I've taken this whole civics and economics class and I don't understand credit and I am getting ready to be in the real world and not understand one of the most basic things about one of the most basic mathematical things about the real world. So it was, it was, it's very interesting what these students have to say and, and how that they're, quite astute in what their perceptions are about about the way schools could be we'll have to do this an episode on this but I'm reading a book by one of my pen teachers um he published recently a book called teaching a future president how to empower students to tackle almost impossible problems and he talked a lot about how teachers can frame the the conversation in the classroom to make sure that we're the whole, I'm trying to explain it briefly. The basic concept that is, is that right now a teacher has an answer and they are trying to teach students to get to that one answer. But oftentimes there are 20 million answers if you're asking a different question. And so like he has this whole framework for, it. I think we should do another podcast episode on that. But I want to go into this next piece because I think it segues really nicely is that students actually want to use less technology in the classroom or simultaneously more for different reasons. And they talk about it because, and this is exactly what we've always said, right now, when our education system is asking them to regurgitate topics or just answers, you can Google that in a millisecond. They don't need to know how to recite answers or search for answers or answer things that are routine or monotonous. They need to know how to get to answers that matter. And students are recognizing that by and large, I think, based on the commentary. So, I mean, we've talked about tech for this, how this is disrupting it forever. Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting. The And I'm sure you've had these conversations too, Amber. Like when we talk to teachers, they're, it's interesting their answers on this whole tech issue because it is, it is a tough classroom management yeah. issue. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily have to be. And I think that that's a real a real lack in our teacher education training programs that we're not helping teachers utilize technology in a more effective way. Mm-hmm. Like one of the students said, why aren't we, you know, I want to answer the question, the why and how questions, you know, yeah. and, and I had a, I can't remember what teacher I had at what point in time. Um, but it was, I definitely in college, cause I don't think Google was around before I was in college, <laughs> but it was a, you know, give me a, a question that can't be Googled. And I know a lot of, a lot of high school teachers I've worked with have used that same, that same trick. You know, if you're doing a, a thesis or a paper, what is something that can't be Googled? Because now you're, you're telling students, you can use the technology. 
Mm-hmm. You can search whatever you need. That's what we do. That's what we we do as humans. You can search up whatever you need to do. I love my kids use the term search it up. <laughs> I love that. I used to know. I stole that from my kids. You can search up anything. Um, but you. it's when you take that information that you search up and you use it as part of the way that you get to your answer. So it's yeah. it's that deeper understanding. It's not who was the president at this this particular year and this, you know, it's what are you going to do with that information? How are you going to apply that information? Yeah. Technology is not the solution. It's a vessel to get to deeper learning. I feel like regardless of whether these students said they'd prefer pen and paper because they feel like technology is all they know or whether they think that they could just go on technology just to search something routinely, it comes down to they're craving meaningful learning with technology not being part of that picture in terms of how to actually get to the learning. Like they want the process of learning and then technology or in-person or anything like that is just an element that you're added to that. So it's, I mean, they're just craving meaningful learning. I think you could really sum it up as much as that. They just don't want to recite things. Which, And that's, that's, what we try, um, that's, you know, exactly, I think, well, we, we believe that entrepreneurship solves that problem um, because, and, and, you know, and, and we talk about entrepreneurship and a lot of times we stumble with that word a little bit, especially when we're, when we're meeting with schools. We've talked about this before. Um, sometimes it's a four-letter word. It gets in the way a little bit, but it's really about that meaningful learning. And through the entrepreneurship process is a real easy way and it's a real clear way to get that meaningful learning journey happening and get it started. Um, but you know, there's also there's other ways to do that as well. And uh, um, another thing that this, the next thing the students talked about is preparing them for real life. And that's what you know. That's what project based, problem based, design based thinking, entrepreneurship. That's what that all does. It 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 gives you a real problem to solve that's yeah. relevant the big issue in schools is just being able to, for kids to see that relevance to their life oh, yeah. and, and, and have it be meaningful. You know, I, this, the one student talks about, this was the one that in that section of the article talks about the civics and economics class. Mm-hmm. And I barely understand credit and they expect me to be perfectly <laughs> fine living alone a year from now, you know? <laughs> And that's where we all get into trouble because nobody taught me credit. And let me tell you some of the issues (laughs) coming out of college and not knowing what the heck to do. And, um, you know, I, I'm not disparaging, you know, algebra and trigonometry and things like that, but that's really a tough, there are ways to make that more relevant, but that it's a lot tougher for kids to see that. And, you know what's funny? What so my capstone, we had to come up with a business idea and mine was around adulting. I think I've told you this like 80 million times. But I had basically pitched that I wanted to create this adulting curriculum. And you see that popping up in high schools, you know, across the country. They're working on adulting workshops, teaching kids about credit, all those kinds of things. And I want to pose this question to you because I don't know how you'll react to it. I had a teacher, I had a professor question what was education's duty is there is it their duty to prepare teachers for their duty to prepare students for those types of things or is it the parents job (laughs) so I want to I mean I'd love to hear your opinion because that was a big that was my big assumptions that I made was that 
my assumption was that you can teach those concepts through the vessel of the standards that are required in courses. Like you can teach credit in math. You can teach financial literacy in math classes. And so like I had a whole assumption about that, but that was a big, somebody came to me and said, is that my job or is that my, is that the parent's job? And I was like, hmm. Really, really great question. And a really funny thing that you said that because I had a conversation randomly um, with a doctor <laughs> complete. If you could imagine, I have sidebars everywhere I go. So we were talking about, about school and this particular doctor, hi, Dr. Buckingham. Um, he has 10 children. Like he just keeps having kids Good for um, him. and his wife, bless her heart, homeschools, all of them. <laughs> I don't even know how you manage that situation. Um, that's a different topic for another day. But the, his question to me was that very same question was whose responsibility is it to prepare your children for life and to educate your children? Is it, if it, if it's the parents, then that's a whole, then, you know, that's where they were coming from. That's a whole different set mm-hmm. of ideas. But, you know, I think that, I think that it, in our society, it has to kind of fall on both on both stakeholders' shoulders. If there's, but this is one of those things you can't Google that. I can't yeah. Google that. It's one of those questions that you could ask a student, and what would they say? You know, it's but it's a puzzling problem because I think there is perception both ways about that. In this idea of it, it ties into that idea of like how she had learned the most about credit and being prepared for the real world. And I understand like how is a math class relevant? I mean, I think I ask that every year of math all the way through college. Cause I hate math, but I don't think I hate math because I hate math. Yeah. I think I hate math because it was never made relevant. So there's a difference. So yeah, yeah. I just posed that question. Hey, everybody that's listening, if you would like to please tweet at me afterwards with your vision of education and let me know, who do you think is responsible for teaching the students of today about the real world? Let me know. I'm interested. I'm just interested in the poll. We should do a poll. And the, and you know, the bigger question is too, why are we not in schools? Are, are, why are we not by and large teaching about the real world? You know, I mean, I mean, why, like you said, why aren't we using? I think we're just going to get, we should not have started this segment because we're just going to get really like what is happening hours later (laughs) but it's true that's a huge question and one that I struggle with daily especially with even with my little little kids because they they're not feeling it they don't understand why they need to be in school they ask me to homeschool them every day which is probably a disaster in a bottle if I tried to do that but it's you know it's something that it's very frustrating uh, about our traditional schools, why, you know, we could teach real world skills in the context of algebra. You can do it. I have an example. Yeah. Anybody wants to tweet at me, if you can find me, (laughs) I'll be happy to share you, share with you my algebra example, but it's, it's just, you know, we can teach these things at the same time. And so why aren't we? Because it's when things are clearly relevant to students that makes learning inspiring and engaging and motivating yeah. and makes people want to be there. You know, I, we're going to interview a good friend of mine in a couple of weeks um, who started project lead the way. And I think that was where I, 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 we need to ask him this question because I think that was where his 
whole brainchild started mm-hmm. because he was seeing this issue in schools. And this was in the eighties, eighties, man, the eighties. And, uh, he put a bunch of kids in a room with the book, with a, with a phone book and some books and a phone, you know, like one that was like a tether yeah. to it, like a phone. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> a re- an old school phone and um and to to have students solve a real problem mm-hmm. and after being completely dazed and confused for a little while they they got to work and it was one of the most amazing experiences they ever had so it's just it, when kids know why they're doing something it makes it more motivating even yeah. if it's not their favorite thing to do you know and i think i think it goes back to back to my question of like whose responsibility is it by tying any kind of assignment or project that you're working on into class to relevancy you're teaching them skills to figure out problems that might not be addressed in the class obviously they're not going to be able to know every single thing about adulting from a classroom but they might from some experience in their time doing project-based learning or problem-based learning have the skill sets then to figure it out instead of where they're at now where they get out and it's like a deer in headlights and they have no clue how to even go about processing or attempting to solve a problem in their lives because they've just been asked to regurgitate answers. And so you're giving them those skill sets to figure things out while simultaneously giving them relevancy. So that process of figuring things out, just understanding that you are capable of figuring something out. You can do it. <laughs> even if you don't know, even if you don't know where to start, you know, it, it, you, you have the ability to do that. And just understanding that can be mind blowing to kids. Yeah. You know, we, we have this kind of issue in society right now where there are a lot of people have it. It's, it's the, I ain't trained mentality. Like, you yeah. know, I didn't go to school for web design. So there ain't no way I can, you know, put up a slap up a website or something. Well, you know what you, you can, and it's easier than you think, or, you know, I don't know how to, fix this, you know, bicycle wheel or braking system or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, but it's, it's that mentality of just that wall immediately. I can't do this. Yes. Yeah. You can't do this. Yeah. And I think, I think what we should do is skip this next one because we've talked about it. <laughs> Come on. No, but I think we should, because so know, yeah. as an FYI for everyone listening, the next step that we've already kind of talked the next theme was to eliminate standardized tests which you already know how we feel about it you already know how ted feels about it we've kind of touched on it with the other ones but i think this ties into what you were just saying too about the point you're making is like big thing of that is giving teachers more money and support not necessarily the more money but the support piece like the freedom to have those opportunities i want you to talk to that because i feel like this is one of our biggest platforms that we tout. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely, definitely is. Um, It's, we meet teachers all across the country, the world, I guess, at this point. And um, I don't think Amber and I can say enough about what teachers deal with. And I mean, what they, what they are tasked with doing. And so, you know, the standardized test issue is, is one thing, but when we talk to teachers so many times, they feel completely handcuffed. And, and it's interesting that so many students in this article understand that. I'm so glad that they understand that because the, the teachers a lot of times don't feel supported and, and they don't feel like they can be 
creative and innovative and, and do interesting things with their content. And a lot of times they can't because of <clears throat> standardized tests. So I think you should, so you need to go to Anders, scroll down to Anders and read that. I'm going to read this out loud because Anders says this answer to solving the American education crisis is simple. We need to put education back in the hands of the teachers. And then this is going to be an ellipsis. So dot, dot, dot. There's a little bit in the middle, but he says, we wouldn't let a lawyer perform heart surgery or construction workers do our taxes. So why let the people who win popularity contests run our education systems, which I'm not going to go into a political thing, but I do think it is as simple as giving a lot of that independence back to educators to do what's best for their, I have never met a teacher who doesn't want what's best for their students, but I have met a ton of teachers who are completely bogged down by the other pieces of that, that their priorities clash because of what they're required to do and what they want to be. And I think that's as simple as it is. It, it, it is very, it's very, very compelling from Anders. <laughs> it was just, I mean, that's, when we see teachers doing incredible things and we fortunately are in a space where we do, um, it's, it's a one-off sometimes it, you know, and it's, and it's that teacher that is had to go above and beyond and do, you know, and, and I don't know why it needs to be, that needs to be the exception. Mm -hmm. it, it should be, it should be the rule. It yeah. should, you know, we shouldn't be <laughs> deciding people that really don't know what it's like to be in front of a classroom day in and day out should not be making decisions, you know, political or not political, but they should not be making decisions for the people that are. And it's like a lot of things in this, <laughs> in this world where we have people that are so far removed from it and they think they know better. Yeah. And again, uh, Ted, Ted Dindersmith talks about that too. You know, he, he, he had all these ideas as a businessman about what schools should look like but he said you know what I'm not going to be that guy so I'm going there <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to talk to the people who know you know who who are who are there who are doing it every day and and that's why his his book is so amazing and why his his movie is so compelling but that's I mean it's pretty simple it, if the teachers you know teachers have students best interests in mind if they're allowed to to do what they do best then you're going to see kids do what they do best and, you know, you can't, you can't, like we always say, you can't be what you can't see. Students can't see this robotic teacher who's just trying to get through the content and then turn around and be creative and not afraid to fail and take risks. And so it's a very, seems very easy. I mean, shout out to Finland. I wish we could get a little bit of <laughs> <laughs> finish it here <laughs> beyond beyond just ha allowing teachers have it having school put back in the hands of the teachers where it belongs paying teachers more you know treating I mean we're we're tasking teachers with one of the hardest jobs I know I was a career changer and I'm sorry folks but teaching's a whole heck of a lot harder than nuclear engineering okay yeah. so you know we're asking teachers to do this amazing thing and probably the most important thing I mean Honestly, you're, 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 I, mean, I don't know how much more clear you don't need to explain that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't need to explain that everyone. <laughs> we don't, kids and, you know, I mean, you're responsible. And as one teacher, you're responsible in your small part for the next generation and what's going to happen. Yeah. And so we really should, uh, you know, we, we find money to do all kinds of things 
think we could probably move some to where it would be most effective to help. I think that would help our country move forward in all kinds of different ways, but. Yeah. <laughs> preach, preach. I, I think the next two are pretty tied together, honestly. Um, very parallel. The idea that we need to make lessons more engaging, which we've already talked a lot broadly about the relevancy and how that will be engaging, but also create better learning environments. And I think they're very tied to um, a lot of the, the responses resonate around this idea of incorporating student voice into those decisions and why it's important to, to have student opinions come to the table, um, which I mean, I feel is huge. I don't think I was ever asked <laughs> what I wanted to learn. No, we had a, I'm, and I'm blanking right now. We had a podcast where um, a teacher was talking about how every semester he does that and asks the student, okay. Steve, it's Steve Rice from Arkansas. You know, every semester, okay, we just did this semester. So now let's semester in review, guys, kids, tell me what was wrong. What went right? What did you like? What didn't you like? What would you say to the next student coming into this class? Why don't we do that all the time? Again, why is that not the rule? Why is that the exception? Yeah. You know, why does it take, you know, an exceptional, you know, one-off? Why, you know, I, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and, you know, and, and, and we are, by and large, kids are discouraged from saying, this stinks, you know, in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> and I just went through this with my kid who voiced out loud that he was very unhappy now he probably shouldn't have started a petition and stuff but he got did he really <laughs> yeah yeah he did oh and, good. Then, and then a friend put it online and it went to all the administrators yeah it was a it was a big thing um and he's he's uh nine y'all um oh. he, got, he got into a little bit of trouble um but it was and it was really even worse because he told them he told the principal that um he wasn't going to get in trouble at home <laughs> so which he how's was, that going for you <laughs> correct about that but we had a very serious discussion about more a, a more appropriate way to approach that but you want to know it's funny this one this this makes me think of your nine-year-old so students today feel voiceless because they are punished when they criticize the school system and it's a problem because this allows the schools to block out that criticism that could be positive leaving it no room to grow right yeah. Well, and, and my question, um, my question with, with my son's issue was, and I've spoken to the teachers and everything since, but it was this, you know, why didn't anybody ask him why, you know, it was just, I, I don't like school. All these other people don't, why didn't anybody pull those kids together and say, why? Right. Why wouldn't I, I like, I don't understand that mindset at all. You're just like, Oh, no, why would it? You did something bad and now you're in trouble. And you know what they did? They took his technology away for like a week. <laughs> which, which based on our uh, research here, they don't want. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. But I mean, I, that's, that's the whole thing. Why, why wouldn't you want to hear from your clients? I mean, hello, that's what oh they God, Especially at that age when they're so creative. Like, I feel like you could learn so much from sitting in a classroom with nine-year-olds and asking them why they don't find education exciting in their school like you I, I can't imagine what you could learn you know what we should do let's interview nine-year-olds you should get a bunch of nine-year-olds on the let's podcast just do it and see what happens <laughs> and see <laughs> well, it'll be our next new segment <laughs> 
I love that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's so true. Why, why we've been talking to leads to this, like student voice is crucial. And I've actually just been reading a couple pieces of research on, you know, especially in the areas that we work with where students are facing like unprecedented amount of trauma from a variety of different things, giving student voice in a structured environment with a with a caretaker that is representing the the safe adult in their life can do significant things for them moving forward for them to face that trauma and so like I think it's so relevant that anybody that's listening be thinking about how do you think you're prioritizing student voice and are you truly like really just take a second to reflect on that when you think about it what are you doing and how could you do better a great thing to think about when you there's always this fear and I felt it too when I when I transitioned into teaching this fear of losing control mm-hmm. in the classroom because you just think, you know, you see those movies and like crazy things are like skateboards and rockets flying through the room, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's not a loss of control just when you just hear from students. And I, I think sometimes there's a fear that, you know, students are going to say something really horrible and, but what if they do, yeah. <laughs> you know, and what if it makes you think and reflect in a way that you never, that you never did before. And I mean, it's, it's just such a a crucial thing, even something silly, you know, my, my son, I asked him, I said, well, what would you like to have? He's like, well, I'd like to play soccer more of the day. And I'd like to be on YouTube. And, and a couple of things were kind of silly that they couldn't have happened in school. But then as he as he talked longer, he said, well, you know, they, they want us to sit still for so much time and we don't get enough time out of our seat. And, you know, I have to eat lunch so fast that I get a stomach ache. And then I can't think of, you know, what, what happens after lunch yeah. is waste because he doesn't feel good. And it's just some, those are real things that could be fixed very easily. Yeah. And it goes back to, too, like what maybe the problems that he's saying, maybe even something like, I want to watch YouTube a little bit more. There's a there's a question that's not being asked about that that could lead to something really inspiring versus it's not just that he wants to watch YouTube. It's that he's not genuinely interested in what you're teaching him. If he was genuinely interested in what he was being taught, he'd be more engaged in that aspect. So it's like, there's so many different levels of how can you engage and really incorporate that idea of student voice into the conversation and make learning more fun. Again, for the 80 millionth time. (laughs) We had a teacher... Um, shout out to Mrs. Spencer, who still is both of my children's favorite teacher of all time. And the, when you ask why, and it's kindergarten. Okay. So kindergarten, you have a little more freedom. I know that, but, but the reason wasn't because it was kindergarten or because there was more playtime. The reason was that this teacher let them choose a, books to read and let them do research on whatever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of my oldest, it was Bigfoot. He was into Bigfoot and it, but it was, it didn't matter. And he learned so much more because he was allowed to explore that topic. I mean, he learned about the United States. He knows where all the different states are. He know he can name them, it, it, but, and he learned about math and, and about research and just because he, he had that ability to have ownership over his learning. And that's such a simple thing. Yeah. You know, and you can do it as a teacher, even in small ways, even if you need to have structure around it, you can, you know, if you have to read a certain book for whatever test you have to give, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there are different ways for students to do that and present their information instead of just this one, you know, instead of a 
traditional report, maybe they could do an interpretive dance. I mean, maybe not an interpretive <laughs> dance, but something, you know, something a little bit different. And it's just doing those little things, you know, one by one and bringing those into your classroom that can over time change. I think that's what we, we talk about a lot with entrepreneurship and design-based thinking. You don't have to radically shift, but you can start to bring it in and yeah, little by little, the drips add up and suddenly you wake up and you have this cool class where students want to be. So yeah. Yeah. My, one of my favorite teachers just recently passed away. Um, he was my 11th grade U- AP US history teacher and people think history. And like, that is one of the easiest classes for you to be tasked with regurgitating things. If you don't have a brilliant teacher, right? Like that is a timeline and facts. of the time in most classes, but he was so good at applying it. And so we would have like, for example, we'd be learning about world war two or something. And he would present like a list, uh, present like um, historical documents that you would have to analyze and recommend, pretend you were on a cabinet, a cabinet member or something and recommend to the president what your actions would be. So there was no one answer because it was your opinion based on how you interpreted those documents. And so it was like this super cool way of thinking about why people made decisions, how they made decisions, like what, how to analyze research. I mean, he was so good at it. And it goes to the point they make in the article. There's another section where I think it's just a couple of students say this, but de-emphasizing grades in the mm-hmm. traditional sense because it, it tied into this idea that as long as you could articulate why you were making a decision and it was founded in some kind of logic, your decision was going to be right and you would do well on the assignment. And so I, I love that. I love that. I loved his class because you had the opportunity to apply everything that you were doing in that way. So I, I like the idea of de-emphasis. I hate grades. I bet you remembered it too. And I love him. He was my favorite teacher. And that's, it's, I did not have a history class like that. I had the spit up facts and yeah. I... I bet you don't remember many of them. <laughs> nothing. And, and and it's funny because my husband had a teacher like that. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Doug Oxford. He just retired this year. Um, and I think he taught just about everybody in my small little county. And I didn't grow up here. But, <laughs> but, but he was like that. And my niece actually had him this past year is last year. And it's the same experience, just able to, to tell history, like a story and okay. make it relevant and make it more interesting. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how that changes. Yeah. I mean, we went to Gettysburg, right? With this, I mean, it's Mr. Nixon. He is an amazing, amazing man. We went to Gettysburg and sprinted Pickett's charge with him. Like there are so many, and he was, this is old. He was like sixties when I had him in school and he sprinted Pickett's charge with us, but just like his passion for it, but also how he could apply it to you literally either were in a simulation or you were experiencing something that made you, made it relevant. And yeah, I mean, he was wonderful, wonderful man. We are um, passing our, we got to keep, we got to keep going. Yes. And I have to pick up my children soon. So. <laughs> Shout out to Toys. I think the, the very last, I guess we can, we can try to kind of close it with this, but the de-emphasize the emphasis on grades. There was also one of the students that talked about the stress and how um, this kind of gave me chills about how, you know, this can cause kids to uh, unfortunately sometimes take their own lives and, 
cause such great anxiety if, you know, if that's hopefully not the case, but, you know, just the anxiety and the pressure and it, you know, that if you don't get these grades, that's it for you. And a lot of times that's the message that we send to kids and it's not. And if you look at it funny, if you look at some of the richest people in the, in the world, they like uh, flunked out of school. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, there, there are, you know, it's just giving kids the idea that there are other options and that it's not over if you're not, if you don't fit into this box, it's in fact, there's so many things available to you. Um, so it's, it's, that's just a really sad, sad narrative that, that we're even at that point where we're causing that much stress, stress in kids' lives. Yeah. And then um, the last part of the article is just praise for amazing teachers. And please, if you if you don't do anything else um, with this article, read this last section because it talks about how there are teachers out there. And again, we want this to be the norm and not the exception, but teachers out there that are just doing little things to make school better for yeah. kids. You know, I mean, this one student, Polly, uh, saying how he's in a math class that changed his life. Math class used to be meh, <laughs> but but he has a teacher that's so, you know, that's amusing, but also phenomenal and is able to teach things in a fun, relevant way. Uh, it's, it, again, it just doesn't take a lot of times, you know, you think about changing the way you teach and it, it's like, oh, I have to overhaul everything and there's a new curriculum every other day. We, and mm-hmm. it's not that, you know, take take a couple of little ideas and try them out and then see how it goes and then try the next one and maybe ask the kids, what'd you think? We just did this weird thing that we never did before. <laughs> what, what'd you think of that? You know, and, and just start building new, new structures and new, new ways of learning into a classroom. So I think it's important for anybody listening to know that we are 10 million times more optimistic about the future of education then we are fearful for it. We see every day the things that great teachers are doing and we feel like there is a lot of progress happening in these pockets of spaces where you wouldn't think progress is possible with under-resourced, strapped teachers. So we are, I mean, wholly positive that this will be driven by students and great teachers across the United States in making these big changes. And we're excited to uplift them on our podcast every week drop us a line to teachers that are doing great things. We would love to interview them and and uplift what they're doing and making all these changes to the classroom possible. So I want to end with that because I think it's important from the rooftops. (laughs) What we're trying to do with this podcast, people, we're trying to shout it as loud as we can. Um, Yeah, let us shout about you. (laughs) Yes, if you have an awesome teacher in your life, please share because we want to just make sure that person first knows that we love them. And, and second, we love to hear what they're doing. That's amazing because that's, you know, critical mass. At some point we get to critical mass and then every, then it has to change, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to keep going. So, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'm, we're excited to, to bring you the latest in these kind of education trends. Um, we'll probably do this maybe once a month, depending on how it goes, but Again, if anything comes up on your radar that you think we should highlight um, as a resource or as an opportunity for teachers, we'd love to um, share that with our networks. So please keep us tuned in to what you're doing and the great things that are taking place in your classrooms across the U.S. 
Thanks, everybody. And if you know any nine-year-olds, let us know. We're going to get together a group. Yeah, <laughs> nine-year-old case study. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone.